Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn about cognitive delays and post-traumatic growth after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology Center for Brain Health a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I very recently just finished my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, which is due out on March 1st. You can learn more about me and the podcast and my book at facesoftbi.com. And be sure to check out the the Brain Health Online Summit, um, which is coming up for the month of March in conjunction with Brain Injury Awareness Month. And that is the BrainHealthOnlineSummit.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn, and she has firsthand experience with trauma. An avid marathon runner and triathlete, in 1990, she survived a sudden death event requiring 22 minutes of CPR. Since her survival, she completed five marathons, several triathlons, earned her master's in nursing, and a doctor of education. She is passionate about her philosophy of using one's inner strengths and courage to turn tragic events into victories. Her ongoing research and clinical work is intended to positively influence the field of trauma, focusing on post-traumatic growth for individuals, vicarious survivors, and communities who suffered and survived critical events. Her book, Turning Tragedy into Triumph, a Meta-Habilitation, a Contemporary Model of Rehabilitation, was released in 2012. She completed a sabbatical studying vicarious survivors of trauma, focusing on family and friends of those who suffered and survived troubling life events. She visited Oklahoma City, New York City, and Boston, interviewing people who witnessed and were affected by these traumatic events. Her ongoing research, along with a deep concern for those who deal with trauma and those who care for them, led to the creation of a course at CSUS, Traumatology, Introduction to Post-Traumatic Growth. So, Dr. Michael Flynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. Well, I think I would love to have you start with just telling our listeners your story. Um, you had a, a, a death event, um, which 
I mean, the name itself just, I think, says it all. But um, I would love to have you share that experience and, you know, how that's brought you to the place that you are today. Um, okay, well, thank you. Um, so, yes, in, as, a, as you mentioned, in 1990, um, I had a, a death event, actually a drowning um, I was at a swim meet with my children and my husband, and I have no memory of any of this. In fact, there's about a month of my life that I have zero memory of. But um, there was a sw- my children were at a swim meet, and they had a, an adult fun relay to kind of break up the meet. And I had been doing quite a bit of training um, swimming, so I grabbed my husband and a couple of friends and said, "Come on, we're going to swim this and we're going to win this, and I'm going to swim the last lap because I'm the fastest." And so I apparently got in the pool, did just that, swam the last lap of the relay, last leg of the relay, finished at the side of the pool that was 13 feet deep, and um, apparently the timer did ask me if I wanted help out, and I said, "No, I'm fine," and I just something happened and I sunk to the bottom of the pool. And they realized I wasn't surfacing, so my husband dove in to the bottom of the pool, pulled me to the side. Luckily, because it was a big swim meet, there were a lot of children there, and there were a lot of parents there, and there happened to be a couple of emergency room physicians and a cardiac nurse specialist who realized that my heart had stopped and I wasn't breathing and provided 22 minutes of CPR poolside. They landed a helicopter close to the pool got me on the helicopter to life flight me to the hospital. Um, My heart stopped again in the helicopter. They got it going. And that's when I hit the ER at University of California Davis Trauma Center and um, then was on a respirator for about a week and came off of that. And that's when things in my life changed drastically. And um, things were very, very tough in a lot of ways. But the thing that I think was the toughest for me is I'd always been very um, clear about, you know, my family, uh, my spiritual life, and my exercise life, and my brain. Always very focused on, you know, being smart or, like, uh, being clever and having that part of my life developed. And um, those are pretty much gone. So um, I didn't recognize my children at first. I called my husband the wrong, you know, called him my brother's name and not his name. Um, I had memory issues for sure. I remember coming home from the hospital after about, you know, I was in the hospital after ICU and then in the step-down unit, whatever, and came home and I stood in my kitchen and I looked around and I said to my children, I had a son who's two, I, my husband, I have a son who's two, uh, at that time was two, and our daughters were seven and eight. And I just looked around and I said, where, where are the dishes? And then I'd look at them and I'd say, um, <clears throat> what did I cook? What did I used to cook? And I'd take them into my closet and I said, um, I remember saying this so clearly, show, show mommy what I used to wear. What did I used to wear? And um, I was... Um, I was kind of a mess. Um, the first time I decided to take a walk in my neighborhood that I'd lived in for many years, I got lost. Um, and one of my neighbors happened to drive by and say, Joyce, you know, are you okay? I said, I'm just, I'm not sure how to get home. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I started after my event. And it was, um, it was bad. 
<clears throat> obviously yeah. very depressing and um, scary and extremely frustrating. So. Well, I can only imagine. I mean, it sounds somewhat similar, you know, to what I went through. I remember driving home from Target that I go to all the time and suddenly not knowing where I was and having to pull over, pull up my GPS and then, oh, okay, I'm on the right road. Like it just didn't look familiar to me. And I thought I was lost. I thought I'd made a wrong turn. And it's just so bizarre, isn't it? Like, it's like, you're very aware of what's going on in your life. But at the same time, it's like, where am I? I don't know where I am. But then to realize that you're exactly where you should be, it's really disconcerting. Um, it's, it's frightening. And it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Would, would you kind of say that? Did you sort of feel that way with some of the things? Well, yeah, and, you know, I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because um, when, I, when I do my course at, you know, I teach at Sacramento State University, CSUS, and I talk to people about it, my, the best way for me to describe this is it's kind of like you're walking around with, like, two glasses of wine in you. Where, you know, you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're a little out of, you know, you're a little buzzed, but you don't want anybody to know. So you're trying to fake it and just try, you know, but it's sort of like that notion of you're in a, this little bit of a fog. And the, I think the hardest thing for me, when you're out of it, you're out of it. But when you start really coming back and you're trying to regain some traction in your life and you are recognizing, I'm messed up. And you don't want anybody to necessarily know that, but it's a scary place to be. And so your places, and you're a little bit always in this fog. I remember my husband has a position in finance, and we did a lot of social stuff. And I would see people, we would go to functions, and I'd see people, all the, this is a couple, few months after my event, and I'd see people who um, I knew, and I could not remember their names. I couldn't, I couldn't remember names and things like that. And I remember finally just saying, I just said, I'm not going to fake this anymore. I'm just going to say, look at, I know, I know you, but I'm forgetting your name. And people were very gracious about that. But I just remembered being in this constant fog almost where you just knew you had this before, but it's just not coming to you. And yeah, it's a, it's a scary, tough place to be. You know, you're talking about remembering names, and um, I, I'm a, a professional photographer, and I just remember having clients come in. Okay, so Susie's coming in today, and I mean, I had to have 101 alerts reminding me that I had an appointment, but then the client would come in, and I'd be like, hi, Susie, and we get her set up, and I'd start taking pictures, and I'd be like, what the crap is her name? I don't remember her name, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I would try to do things that I didn't need their name, and like, I couldn't remember left from right, and like, words were just like gone, and I mean, I'm sure I sounded like a total idiot. And so I just started telling clients, hey, you know, um, I recently fell and suffered a brain injury. And so I'm having a lot of trouble with my words and remembering names. And people were so incredibly compassionate when you shared that. They were like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you need to take a break? You know, it was like, no, I'm fine. We can keep going. But people really are compassionate when you share what's going on. And um, right. it's, it's really 
it's a great feeling when, when people respond that way. Cause you're always a little worried. Like, what are they going to think if I tell them I have a brain injury? Um, right. So I've learned to be really, even now, like people come up to me. I'm really thankful for the people who do come up to me and they're like, hi, Amy. And they can tell by the look on my face and they'll be like, I'm Mike. We met at such and such event. You know, like they fill in that blank before right. I have to even ask. I love when people do that for me. <laughs> right. Cause they right. can just tell, I'm like, who are you again? So um, share with us. So, you know, now, now we know your journey and, and, you know, what happened to you. So tell us a little bit about how you, so you went back to school and you got your nursing degree and then your doctor of education. Um, and, and talk, let's talk a little bit about this post-traumatic growth and maybe explain what it is and, and how you've come to this term and um, what you're doing with it. Perfect. Well, the issue, um, the um, way that I came back was um, I actually, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner. So by my, um, I already was a nurse practitioner. I had a bachelor's in nursing. I already was a nurse practitioner where I had this event. So I had this sort of unique view of being both a provider of healthcare and a patient. And one of the things that I kept seeing a gap in the care was everybody always told me stuff I was never going to do anymore. So when I asked about going back to work, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, as, an NP, as a nurse practitioner, when I'd ask about running, oh, you're never going to run again and you're never going to swim and all that. And I remember saying to this one doctor one time, you need to stop doing that. I'm living what I can't do. I get it. You need to tell me what I can do. You need to ask me what I want to do. And your job is to get me there. And so I just, you know, good for you. Well, I just started literally crawling back and I did things like be around people. I found a cardiologist who is a runner. So he helped me in cardiac rehab and I started running again and I started running with him. Um, And I, in earnest, uh, went to go see a speech therapist, not because I couldn't talk, but I had horrible aphasia. And I had, you know, memory issues. And I remember being in the hospital first, and they sent me to a speech therapist and um, another kind of therapist. I forget the other kind of therapist. But they asked me to do certain things, like read a paragraph and what did you just read? And I was so angry. I'm not going to do this. Well, I realized this was bigger than I could deal with. So I went to a speech therapist and worked in earnest and started getting my brain back. I just worked hard. And I remember so clearly one of the physicians who resuscitated me, I see, I see these guys socially because I knew them before this all happened. And I saw him and I said, hey, Bruce, uh, he said, how are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm doing okay. But, you know, Bruce, I think I have pretty severe brain damage. And he looked at me and he started laughing because, you know, I don't think I've ever resuscitated anybody like you who actually walked up to me and said, I think I have brain damage. And he <laughs> said to me, you know what? The, the little, the neural, you know, the, the neurons are there. They're just not firing as fast as they used to. And you're an athlete. And when you have to, just like you have to rehab an athletic injury, you're going to have to rehab your brain. And all of a sudden I went, oh, my gosh, that's it. 
that's what I have to do. And nobody had told me that before because I think the way they handle brain injuries is they want you to rest and take a – and we kind of know now because of the plasticity of the brain and everything that, no, you have to kind of push it and you have to start making it work and it will get collateral pathways and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, I did that. And part of the thing is this is like a long journey so I'm going to edit it, but um, it's just two years after my initial injury. I thought if I'm really going to get my brain back, I'm going to go back to school and get an advanced degree. So I went back to school and got my master's in nursing and did that and enjoyed that. And I looked at people who had survived death events and had they gone through the same things I had and kind of found that whole thing out. And then I went, you know, I was back into practice as an NP, and I would either read a book or see a movie or see a patient who had gone through horrible stuff. And not only had they survived, but they actually thrived over time. And not in spite of what happened, but, that, but as a direct result. And I was fascinated by that aspect of human behavior. And so I decided to study it. So I went back to get a doctorate. And my doctoral work was looking at people who had gone through extreme traumas and had um, grown as a result of the traumatic experiences. And I developed a system of rehab that I call meta-habilitation. So meta, going above and beyond, habilitation, restoration, meta-habilitation. And I created, as a result of the research that I did, I could see people went through stages and then they had facilitating conditions that helped them in all characteristics. So I started um, implementing this system of rehab in other rehab recovery areas. And then when I was doing my sabbatical, that's, and I wanted to look at, I'd already looked at survivors, but I wanted to look at vicarious trauma survivors or what we now what we now know as secondary traumatization syndrome. So like what my husband and my children went through when I had my event, and then I started looking at communities, and that's when I came upon the term post-traumatic growth. That's not my term. That's from Tedeschi and Calhoun's research on looking at that, and they specifically recognized what I had already seen Seen, and that is that um, when people go through bad stuff, and if they come as they're coming out of it, if their rehab is structured in a way that they focus on what it is they can do and pushing toward goals, um, they actually do better, and their relationships can are improved. Their um, spiritual life can be improved. Their ability to deal with stress is enhanced. Their ability to see the overall picture of life. So there's all these things that happen to people, and it is directly responsible. It's a, a, a direct response of the trauma experience. And yet, when you look at many rehab programs, this is not the focus. We always focus on what's lost what you can't do. And I, when I get in and I work with rehab programs, I go, okay, there is a reality to what it, you can't do, but how productive is that? We need to start with people and start listing what can you do, and then we focus and really get in what character, how have you handled trauma in the past? How have you successfully gone through it in the past? That's what we want to get into. So that's the work that I do, and I work with I'm a generalist in trauma, so I'll work with TBI people, I'll work with spinal cord injuries, soldiers with post-traumatic stress, 
um, addict, I do a lot with addiction, dependency, um, any type of trauma situation, I bring in my MetaHab program as an adjunct to their existing program and saying, yeah, we need to also add the positive to this. And so, and I will tell yeah. you, that the, people, the people who have made this work are the patients and the people who have been through things. The latecomers are the administrators and, you know, all those people. But I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to programs and talked about post-traumatic growth and using MetaHab as a clinical pathway to achieve PTG and had people come up to me and say, how come I have never heard about this before? How come you're the first person who ever, you know, um, positioned what happened to me in this way? And they, people don't want to be victims. They want to be victors. And most people don't. And we don't set them up to do that. You know, and I so. think what you're talking about, you know, and just just the positive, having to think about the positives and being positive in your journey. You know, so many people get hung up on who they used to be and wanting to be that person again. And, you know, if we're living in the past, we can't live in the present or the future, right? And so, you know, you need to really focus on, because that's when I noticed my greatest improvement was when I finally said, okay, Amy, this might be the best you're going to get, and you have to be okay with it. And that's when I actually started seeing improvement was when I, you know, I kind of flipped it around. I was kind of, you know, I was still wallowing in who I used to be and feeling sorry for myself that I wasn't that person anymore. And, you know, just, you can't, you can't dwell on who you, what you can't do and who you were. You have to focus on, okay, what can I do? What skills do I still have? What am I able to do? How can I help other people? And I really think that was when people have the most profound breakthrough in their recovery is when they move from that space of dwelling in the past to living in the present with, with positivity and gratitude. And so I really love, you know, this whole concept that you're working on. Well, you know, I, I just want to um, applaud you <laughs> on what it is that you've done and so many things that you just talked about. Um, this is one of the things when I work with trauma survivors um, or when I work with survivors, I just say, tell me your story and what happens. And I can pick up in their stories, yep, 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 you've experienced PTG. And one of the things that I really want to applaud you for is this notion of looking, you know, and I agree with you, looking at the life that you had. And I, too, had so much going on in my life. And in my life wasn't going to be like that anymore. And when I work with people in trauma, I now say to them, I used to say, we have to normalize your grief and depression. I don't say that anymore. I say to people, I expect you to grieve for the life you had. I expect you to be depressed, but here's what we need to happen. That is part of your uh, uh, healing process. That's not where you end. This is the beginning of your healing process. So you need to deal with the letting go of the life that you had 
and opening up to yourself a new life that's actually more going to be more interesting and exciting. But there's a grief process. So I say to people, you got to get some help with that, but I will not leave you there. I will come back and get you because we have to move forward. And then you get into what you said, too, and actually it's one of the stages that I have. It's stage four. There's six stages to MetaHap, and stage four is this notion of adaptation and adjustment. But you, Because you get to a point where you work really, really hard, and then you have to look at it and say, okay, I need to kind of take a deep breath and recognize I have to adapt and adjust to what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to stay there. It just means you need a breather and you have to do that adaptation. And then finally, this, you know, then you go through a fifth stage, and the sixth stage is metahab what I call metahab or really blowing past the future and look at what you've done. And you've just articulated one of the things that I always see people who do well have found purpose. They have found a way to give back. And that is probably one of the biggest ways to recover and to successfully grow after trauma. And you've done it in a big way, but you see other people who do smaller ways of giving back but that is clear. They have found purpose. So you met a hab. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Totally grown. Totally grown, yeah. So. You know, and I think brain injury is so interesting because we still, you know, even though our memories are totally terrible, we, to most of us, remember who we used to be. And we can remember how we were and what we did. And I think that just adds a level of frustration in our recovery. Like it would almost be easier if we couldn't remember that. You know what I mean? Um, And so being able to cross that threshold of living in the past to living in the present, I think, is a really huge breakthrough. And, you know, and I know for me, it really happened when I started writing and my first piece on HuffPost went viral and people reached out to me saying, oh my gosh, this could be my story. You put words out there that I wasn't able to articulate. And I realized that I was helping people with my story. And that's when I had that huge breakthrough. And the more I help others, the more I feel like it feeds my own recovery. And I encourage people all the time. You know, I get asked all the time, how do I share my story? And I'm like, however you can, you know, whether it's writing it on Facebook, starting a blog, making a video, if, if video is easier than writing, you know, just however it is that you're able and just share it. And you don't have to make it perfect. It doesn't have to be right. Just share it. And once you start sharing it, it'll be amazing what you get back from it. Right. You know, and I, I think um, the other thing, like I said, people's stories are the most powerful. And I really found um, my doctoral work was actually, I interviewed six people who had gone through a variety of traumatic events, some spinal cord injuries, PTSD, cancer, all that. And I just had said, tell me your story. And when they started talking about their story, I could hear in their stories over and over again, like I said, some of these characteristics some of these conditions, you could see that there was not just a haphazard way that they came through. There was actually a system. And I just put stages and words to that system so that people can get in there and and make that happen. And so that's the thing that 
to me is the most powerful is to have people know that, yeah, not only can you get through this, but this is how. And the other thing that you do when you share your story, and this is huge, you give people hope. You give people hope. And that is the biggest thing that I think in rehab, to me, that is frustrating, that is missing, is this lack of hope. Are you going to go back to what you were? I don't know. Are you going to have that? I don't know. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to work in this productive way, and we'll get some traction and see what works. And in the process of coming back, I see a lot of survivors who say, you know what? I don't want to go. I actually now, I don't want to go back to what I had. I like what I have now. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily need to have that. I like what I have now. But I never say that to them. I let people explore their own reality in their, you know, in their relationship, in their healing process, because it is a process. It doesn't, there's no start and finish to this. There is a process to this. And I just think it's more interesting, as I tell people when I give talks to, I said, you know, well, they'll say, well, what do I say to people? I go, you don't need to have the answers. You need to have the questions because this is about them. So when they ask things, go, you know, I'm not sure. What is it you were thinking of? What is it you want to do? Where would you like to go? Let's explore that. And um, it, it just makes more, it makes it more fun for me to deal with this because it's pretty heavy duty to deal with a lot of trauma stuff. But the other part of it is you get people to start searching because here's the other thing. One of the biggest things that I've seen, and I wasn't saying this, Victor Frankel, who's done a you know, man search for meaning and all sorts of lovely work on survivors, said once you can have people, and this takes time, this does not happen overnight, this takes time, but when people find some meaning in their suffering, it ceases to be that heavy-duty suffering when they find meaning and then they find purpose and that's a game changer. And that takes a while. That takes a while. Took a while for me. I'm still doing it. And this is, you know, Mm -hmm. my incident happened in 1990, but I started just changing, you know, when you grab onto this notion, this thinnest thread of hope and somebody helps you got helps guide you and you surround yourself with positive people and you start challenging yourself and you start connect and making some progress and gaining some traction all of a sudden you go whoa whoa and it's not going to it doesn't mean you don't slip back it doesn't mean you don't get depressed sometimes it doesn't mean that you don't get upset but you just don't stay there like you you know because you realize now nah, I got to keep moving forward yeah this I don't like this but I got to keep moving forward so that's what I love to see with people well Dr. Michael Flynn this has just been a wonderful conversation um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to share with my listeners and I think this is such a wonderful topic you know post-traumatic growth and moving forward with positivity and purpose and passion. Um, thank you so very much for being here. I, I find it, it is an honor and I really appreciate this time with you. So thank you.
Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you have gotten some golden nuggets of wisdom from Dr. Michael Flynn. I know this has been a wonderful podcast and um, post-traumatic growth, something I was unfamiliar with, and now I'm very happy to know about it. So just a reminder, you can listen to the replay, and you can find all our previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. You can also be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And another thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.